0: Please turn your Bibles to Proverbs 11.22. I hope you know that church history is only a bridge to take us to what we love the most, which is our treasure. That That is the Holy Scriptures that speak about our treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to separate church history too far from the Scriptures. These are just illustrations to help us understand the Bible. Proverbs eleven 22. I'll read the verse and then ask you a question. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Question. What does this verse... Teach us about beautiful women? What does this verse teach us about beautiful women? And here's the answer Proverbs teaches us that if a pretty girl lacks wisdom, she's ugly. And we're going to look at a story that will help us understand that verse. We'll come back to it later. Let's try to tell a story to see this verse in high definition color. And then we'll come back to the passage. Today we're going to learn about a man named John. Now you say there's lots of people named John. So we'll call him Chrysostom, but he was known during his life simply as John. And John was born in 347 in a city called Antioch. Antioch is modern-day Turkey. It was ancient Syria. And you know the name Antioch if you know your Bible. Because it was the place where the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Acts 11, 26. John's father was a famous military officer that died when John was a baby. But John's mother, whose name was Anthusa, was only 20 years old at the time and she became a 20-year-old widow. But instead of remarrying, she remained a widow for the rest of her life in order to dedicate herself and to devote herself to the education of her son. She, along with Augustine's mother, Monica, which we just learned about, is considered among the most godly mothers in church history, even unbelievers, looked at her life, and admired her for her holiness. Chrysostom, interesting enough, was not baptized as a baby, but, like many in his day, put off baptism until he matured to the point that he could understand the gospel. Well, John received an excellent education, the best education you could get in that time. And in that day, contra the education we have today, he learned about logic. Who learns about logic these days? Logic was just a staple. It was what everyone learned in those days. At least the best schools, that's what the best schools gave. He learned about logic. Which is the right way of thinking. It's how to use our mind correctly. Philosophy, which is the love of wisdom. And then rhetoric, which is the ability to persuade. You're learning how to persuade other people. And he learned these subjects from perhaps the greatest teacher in the world at that time. And his name was Libanius. And Libanius, interesting enough, was a pagan, he was not a believer. But he was an excellent teacher. There's a, an interesting story. At the end of Libanius' life, he's on his deathbed. And they come to him and they say, Who is going to succeed you? Well, he had many students, but his greatest student was John. And the pagan old man said on his deathbed, Who will succeed me? John. If only the Christians hadn't stolen him from us. Well, that stealing would happen a little bit later. John began studying law. And he learned how to use law in his profession, but he was miserable. He was miserable because he was using all of his talent and ability To earn wages and use his skills to defend the guilty. And he said it was like receiving wages from Satan. Well, he was baptized at age 23. And after that, his life took a radical and a somewhat foolish turn. Because he began embracing something called asceticism. Or you might call it monasticism. And you find that word in the section near Augustine in your book. Asceticism. Asceticism. Asceticism is a kind of severe self-discipline. It's the rejection of all of the world's enjoyments. So here is John. He ate little, he slept on the floor, and he rarely talked. In fact, he only stayed at home because his mother begged him with tears Not to make her a widow a second time. And so he honored his mother. And he practiced essentially monasticism or asceticism in her home until she died. Monasticism is unbiblical. Yes, we ought not to think like the world. But Matthew tells us that we are to be like salt and we are to be like light and we are to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Well, if you're off in solitude all the time, you can't be salt and light. When his friend Theodore fell in love and planned to marry, John convinced him to keep his monastic vows by breaking off his engagement. And that's what Theodore did. Well, after the death of Chrysostom's mother, his life of solitude became even more extreme. He moved to the mountains, and for six years, he lived in a hut He gave himself to meditation and prayer. He and his companions gave four hours a day to prayer and to singing. In fact, when they woke up early in the morning, it was prayer and singing, which surprised me a little bit. I can't picture monastics singing for four hours, but apparently that's what they did. Any money that they earned from manual labor, they gave to the poor. They slept on straw beds. They consumed only bread and water. They shared everything in common. And they never used words like mine or yours. It's ours. But at the end of those six years, his health was ruined. And he was terribly sick. And so he moved to Antioch. And there in Antioch, he became a deacon, and then he moved up the ranks and he became a priest, and then he became not only the greatest preacher of his day, but one of the greatest preachers in church history. Now, Antioch was one of the most prominent cities in the Roman Empire, along cities like Rome and Alexandria and Constantinople, which we'll come to in a moment, the population was about 200,000 people, and about half of them at least claimed to be Christian. But the city was filled with materialism and public amusements like chariot races and the theater. And the church in Antioch was weighed down with many heresies, including Arianism. And Arianism denies that Jesus is God. He's a great creature, but he's not divine. And so Chrysostom set to work. And he began preaching the scriptures verse by verse, Sunday after Sunday. Sometimes five days a week he would preach. And at first, as Chrysostom is preaching, the people ignore him. And right after his sermon, they'd rush off to the circus. But his godly life and his bold preaching captivated their hearts. And his church became packed with eager learners. After a decade and a half of faithful preaching, he moved and he became the archbishop of a city called Constantinople. Now, John is considered one of the greatest preachers of all time for at least four reasons. Let me give you four reasons he was such a great preacher. Number one, he was an eloquent speaker. And one of the reasons he was an eloquent speaker was because in his youth, he was educated in how to persuade people with words. John later became known as Chrysostom. Which means golden mouth. And it was because of his powerful speech. Chrysostom. That's what we're learning about. John, or Chrysostom, the golden mouth. He kept his people... Spellbound. It was silent when he preached. And they often showed their admiration for his preaching with applause. And when he rebuked them for their applause, they would applaud his rebuke. That's how gifted he was as a preacher. Second... Not only was he eloquent, but he was an expositor. He was an expositor. Now, the word expositor is a word that comes from Latin, meaning someone who exposes... Or explains the text. He preached through many books of the Bible. And labored to explain the original intent of the text. Rather than using a very popular method of preaching in that day and even later on. Which is called allegory. Or allegorical preaching. Allegory. What is allegory? Allegory is a kind of preaching that finds or tries to find hidden meanings in the text. So for example, when you go to the Old Testament and Isaac marries Rebekah, that's a picture of Christ dying for his church. That's allegory. Third. Chrysostom lived a holy life. Now this is interesting because you may say, what does that have to do with his preaching? And I say it has everything to do with his preaching. Because you cannot separate the the ethos and the character of the man. He might be an incredible speaker. But if he's a hypocrite, it affects his ability to persuade Chrysostom never went to dinner parties he gave much of his money to the poor and he embraced a simple life yes did he go overboard with monasticism and asceticism yes he even acknowledged that later on but he did live live a holy and simple life and then fourth he was fearless in his preaching. On one occasion, he rebuked a woman named Eudosia. Eudosia. Eudosia was the young and beautiful, ravishing wife of the emperor. But she was wicked. And she hated Chrysostom's message. On one occasion, as Chrysostom was preaching, he compared himself to Elijah and Eudosia to Jezebel in the Old Testament. She was so furious that she used Chrysostom's enemies who had already grown very tired of his hard preaching to bring false charges against him like drunkenness and ordered him banished from the city. Well, Chrysostom was not afraid of prison and he was not afraid of death. But the people were irate because they had grown in their love for Chrysostom, and they demanded he be returned, but in the middle of the night, they put him on a ship, and they sent him off to exile. With just one word, Chrysostom could have turned the whole crowd in town against the emperor, but he didn't. Well, the very next day, a mighty earthquake shook the city. And Eudosia was horrified she thought perhaps this was god's judgment upon her for the role she played in evicting the most powerful and popular preacher of the day and so she quickly instructed the soldiers To bring back Chrysostom immediately. And as he returned to his beloved Constantinople, the streets were lined with cheering crowds. John, 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 John. And they were singing ballads and songs and cheering to him. And they swept him off his feet and lifted him on their shoulders. And they took him to the center of the city and demanded that the Golden Mouth... Preach for them. Chrysostom had stood for the truth and he had won. He saw what many could not see, and it is this Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And he could see the sinful heart of the Empress. He refused to change the message of God's word for the beauty or the power of a woman. Chrysostom later said, "When I was driven from the city, I felt no anxiety. Anxiety means worry. But said to myself, if the empress wishes to banish me, let her do so." The earth is the Lord's. If she wants to have me sawn in half, I have Isaiah for an example. If she wants me to be drowned in the ocean, I think of Jonah. If I am to be thrown into the fire, the three men in the furnace suffered the same. If cast before wild beasts... I remember Daniel in the lion's den. If she wants me to be stoned, I have before me Stephen, the first martyr. If she demands my head, let her do so. John the Baptist shines before me. (laughs) Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall leave this world. Paul reminds me, If I still pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. Can you see why he was the golden mouth? This man knew how to preach. He knew how to captivate his audience with truth. Sadly, his return did not last. He continued to rail against the sins of his enemies. Do you have to use names from the pulpit, Chrysostom? Yes, I have to use names, he said. He refused to leave his church when they tried to remove him until he was dragged away by royal guards during a baptismal service. He said, of Eudosia, from the pulpit, Again, Herodias is raging. Again, she is dancing. Again, she demands the head of John on a platter. Of course, speaking of himself as John and her as Herodias. Well, as soon as he left the city, they burned his church to the ground. They sent him off to exile. But since he wouldn't die soon enough, they pushed the now 60-year-old man on a long trek until he died. He was the king of preachers that loved the word and loved souls. He said, quote, Nothing can be more chilling than the sight of a Christian who makes no effort to save others. Well, you have your Bibles open to Proverbs. Like the emperor Eudosia. Correct. Like the empress Eudosia. A foolish girl with a pretty face is like a sow... With a golden nose ring. An immoral woman with an attractive smile and a beautiful face is like a vulture with lipstick. (laughs) It's like a trash can with a pink bow. I'm not the golden mouth, so that's the best I could do with my oratory there. (laughs) And while jewelry enhances the beauty of a godly wife, as it did with Jacob's wife, Rebecca. If you think about it, many of the godly women of the Bible, it is said that they were beautiful. And beauty enhances them. Enhances the beauty of a godly wife. Beauty brings laughter and scorn to a stubborn woman. And so when choosing a wife, I'd like to encourage you to think about two particular things. I want you to keep two things in mind when choosing a spouse, but specifically men. When you're choosing a wife, let me mention two things for you. Number one. Physical beauty is important. Don't marry someone that you're not attracted to. Oh, she's ugly. Don't marry her. The Bible often praises beautiful women. Abigail was wise and pretty, 1 Samuel 25 verse 3. Sarah was pretty, Genesis 12, 11. Esther was beautiful, Esther 2, 7. The daughters of Job were lovely, beautiful women, Job 42, verse 15. Genesis 29, 17 tells us that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, which means she made Jacob's heart skip a beat when he was around her. Oh, she's beautiful. She's all I can think about. That's a good thing. But second, to balance that out, physical beauty, though important, number two, physical beauty is not the most important, as we see with the Empress Eudosia. Because good looks don't last forever. Good character does last forever. Peter warns Christians that what they should be most concerned about is not beauty that is outward. 1 Peter 3, verse 3. Don't be most concerned about outward beauty but be most concerned about inward beauty, the beauty of the heart. He says in verse four, that a gentle and quiet spirit in a woman is precious in God's sight. The kind of beauty that will never fade away. In fact, I think my wife becomes even more physically beauty Beautiful as I see her growing in her inward beauty. It's difficult to separate those two. Wilson wrote an article one time saying, Christian girls are prettiest. And his point was not that all Christian women are pretty and all unbelieving women are not pretty, but he, he was making the point that A morality to a woman actually changes her demeanor, how she carries herself, and even changes her physical beauty. Proverbs 31 uses 20 verses to describe the virtuous woman. Not a single verse speaks of her physical beauty. She's trustworthy, she's hardworking, she's generous, but we're never told she's gorgeous. Verse 30 even reminds the reader that beauty doesn't last. There was a great Puritan named Thomas Fuller. And he said that some men choose their wives the way Eve chose the apple. They're pleasant to the eyes. Be careful, men, when you're choosing a wife. Don't make the same mistake. A girl's beauty will make you look at first, but her character will keep you looking. Well, Jesus, of course, is the hero of every story. And Jesus was never fooled by outward appearances. Many in Chrysostom's day were fooled by Eudosia, who even carried on a kind of religious outward form. But Jesus was never fooled by outward appearances. He rebuked the Pharisees for being clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside, Matthew twenty three twenty six. He was always looking for character. He said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of his heart, Luke 6.45. He loved saving ugly sinners that humbly gave their sinful hearts to him and became beautiful people. Though we do not know what the woman at the well looked like, we do know that she lived an awful life of sin John 4:18 but when Jesus saved her she told everyone she knew about him and when she did that that was beautiful in God's sight Romans 10:15 how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news That's the story of John of Antioch. Today, we know him as the great Chrysostom.